This podcast, number 861, with Elizabeth Gould, author of a new book entitled Feeling Forwards, How to Become the Person Who Has the Life You Want, is brought to you by Dr. Ian Brooks, author of a new book entitled Contention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story. Dr. Ian Brooks is the chief executive and founder of Roadsmith Consulting and has been in organizational development and human capital field for over 20 years. In my interview with him, we discuss about transforming cultures, organizing thoughts, strengthening capabilities, and achieving harmony and success. Dr. Ian Brooks recommends that we build our foundation, be conscious of it, and invest in ourselves to get where we want to be. If you want to learn more about Ian and his new book, Intention, Building Capabilities to Transform Your Story, you can reach him at his website at www.roadsmith.com. That's R-H-O-D-E-S-S-M-I-T-H.com. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Elizabeth, and I'm just going to call you Ellie from here on out because that's the way your email is. Uh, joining us from Melbourne, Australia is Elizabeth Gould, and it's feeling forwards, not forward. And there is something I can ask her about that. There's a reason why it's feeling forwards, not forward. Uh, how to become the person who has the life you want. And this is a great book endorsed as well by Tony Robbins and many others. So I would recommend we will have a link to Amazon. All of you go out and get a copy of the book. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning to you, uh, Ellie. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Greg. Good morning and good afternoon, Monday. You've got a nice shiny start to the week. We do. We do. We do as well. And I just heard prior to coming on, folks, that uh, Monday was a holiday for them. It was the Queen's birthday. So that was great to hear. Ellie, um, I want to let people know a little bit about you. Elizabeth Gould, as she's known uh, formally and informally, Ellie Gould. Uh, she said when she was a little girl, she was worried about her migrant parents um, that just couldn't get ahead financially. Neither could I have imagined what I'd have to face every kind of catastrophe you can think of. And yes, we're going to get in. And along the way between the training and the trauma, I picked up much wisdom uh, about releasing it. Working as a lawyer on major litigation cases, liaison with corporate clients and project creation. Um, she's got quite a history and background. Um, she's now experiences the joy of working with thousands of people to unlock their potential. Uh, she's become a best-selling author. Her work is supported wholehearted, wholeheartedly by Tony Robbins. Uh, and she was invited by Randy Zuckerberg to be a founding member of the Global Leadership School Zucker Institute. Um, well, it's a pleasure having you on. Uh, about this book, Feeling Forwards. And I must give a shout out um, to David Meltzer. David is a good friend. And that's where I found Elizabeth doing a live event, um, uh, not on Instagram, it was on LinkedIn. And I was impressed with what they were talking about. And I wanted to have Elizabeth and as the universe has had it, 
look, there, we're here we are on Zoom. So thank you all for joining me, Elizabeth. Thanks you for getting up early in uh, Melbourne. It's not that early though, right? What time is it? Oh, it's nine o'clock. This is, this is, I've, I've done four it's, and five o'clock. So this is luxurious. I'm very yeah. grateful. <laughs> this is, this is not that early. Now you've written a couple other books. One was a children's book. Um, so writing a book for you is, it isn't the first. Uh, and feeling forwards though is a first in the sense of kind of how you tell this story, I think, and how the research that you put into it and all the painstaking effort that you went through uh, to really kind of pull all the pieces together. And I think the best place for us to start is with your personal story and journey. And that led you here where you are today now as an individual coaching individuals about releasing and letting go uh, and how you overcame many of these crazy adversities, which if somebody, when somebody reads this book, they're not going to believe it, but it's true. So I would like for you to uh, take the floor and talk to our listeners about it. I think it would be great. Oh, thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. And I love that you mentioned the story of, of when I was very young making a key decision because I, I almost feel like I've lived my life backwards. So perhaps that's a great place for an author to be that writes a book called Feeling Forwards. But I feel like my my early years, I was um, normally we go through a challenge or some adversity and then we learn some resilience some coping tools and we move through it. Through a strange quirk of fate, I actually learned my resilience and coping tools and became interested in, in that before I actually went through all the trauma and challenges. And as you've pinpointed, it really did start with being that migrant child in a, a fresh air market. And I was nine at the time, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday, but my mother had waited until right before closing time before going to the market to buy vegetables for the week. And it was very busy and crowded and sellers were calling out these discounted prices. And I remember thinking slightly peevishly, as children do, well, if it was going to be this busy, why didn't we get there earlier? And then I saw the look on my mother's face and I saw the stress and I realised that we were there because everything was getting a lot cheaper and my father had just lost his job and money was going to be really, really tight. And I knew it was tight because I'd already, we'd already got to the stage where, you know, it would be a new pair of shoes for your birthday and nothing else. So I understood that, but it really, for the first time, hit me almost like a, an adult realisation. And I remember even where I was standing, I decided somehow I would become so successful, my children would never see me having to buy food very cheaply because we didn't have enough money. Now, at the time, I wasn't a girly girl who played with dolls and dreamt of getting married and growing up. It was quite a, a strange thought or an unusual thought for me to have. But from that day, I decided, well, I had to learn how to become successful. And to me, successful equaled being famous. So I decided instead of going to the children's section of the library, I would pick one book from the autobiographical and biographical section and the adult section every week because I figured in a very childish, logical way, if someone had a book written about them, well, they must be successful. So someone mm-hmm. in this book is going to find the secrets. So it doesn't matter whether it was an actress or a politician or a, a, a royal figure or anyone, I kind of started A and worked through my way to Z. 
And I learned so much about the myth of what we think is feeling normal and the myth of how successful uh, successful people feel because I learned that if it was a politician, they got told their nose was too big or their speeches were boring. If they were an actress, they were told they weren't pretty enough. Um, They had every obstacle put in their way and they thought at least once maybe I should give up and they had a whole host of people around them telling them they should give up but they just didn't. And that awareness of coping with adversity and, and struggling through challenges and Everyone or a successful person may look confident but not feel confident gave me this unusual insight into how I was able to cope when I had cancer, when I had catastrophe, when I when I lost everything and even found myself in a situation when I, I didn't have enough money, how I found a way to work through that. And then I realised after my research, really, it was feeling forwards. That's a great way to to start this off. And you really do. Uh, for my listeners, when you get the book, um, she has come overcome crazy adversity, cancer, uh, a house attack where someone came in the house and attacked her and, and her kids, um, a divorce, um, a financial loss. Uh, she was saying in the beginning about the fact that uh, she was hoping she'd never have to tell her kids the same thing her mother told her. Where, where, in fact, she ended back up in her mother's home for a while. Uh, I remember me reading that as well. Not something you wanted to do, but you worked your way out of it. And that's most important. And you state that we have everything we need to transform ourselves into the person who has the life we want. Um, and it is already within us. In other words, we just need to find some way to access it because it gets clouded over time. It's not who we are becoming. So what in your estimation is the process required to claim, or I'm going to say reclaim, uh, who we are and the life we want? Mm, Great question. And throughout the book, I, I look at groups of people who either consciously or unconsciously in professions who have already been able to live in a feeling forwards way and and give the tools and techniques so everyone can apply it. But the two groups of people that everyone can connect with so easily is firstly children. And in the book, I go back to childhood and say, do you remember, or if you don't remember, you may have another small child you can observe, but do you remember when you decided you were going to become a Superman or a ballerina or a firefighter or whatever? You transformed yourself in that instant because you immersed yourself in that role and you didn't worry about what anyone else was going to think. You didn't run to a parent and if you're going to be a pirate and say, well, which eye patch, which I should have the eye patch or um, uh, how you should move or, or do I need to go on a course to learn to fly if I'm Superman? No, you, you used your body, you used your voice. You didn't have a focus group to decide on how you'd build the magical cave under your bed. You just transformed yourself in that moment and we still have that ability to do so if we are able to harness the power of our emotions to move forward no matter what. And the great example I love, which which occurs up to a point, but if you see a young teenager who decides they want to be a professional sports person in whatever sport you can think of, let's just say it's an athlete, 
but they actually transform themselves into the present and live the future life way before they see the success. So let's say um, an athlete wins his first or her first first Olympic medal. Well, from that moment, their life doesn't actually change apart from the media attention. They still train. They still watch their diet. They still regulate their sleep. They do all these things they'd actually done 15 years before their dream came true. But the difference between that kind of structured creating yourself in the future and the way a lot of it try to do it in our personal lives is they decide on the actions and the emotions they need to create that future life right back in the present. And, you know, it, you reminded me of an interview I watched last night with uh, an Olympic gold medalist, Simone Biles, who's here in the U.S., um, a little black gymnast girl who everybody here in the U.S. knows, and I would think probably around the world. And they interviewed her last night, and they said, so why one more time at the Olympics? You're 23 years old. That's old for um, a gymnast. That's old for somebody to do it, she said. And she said, you know, because um, I know I can do it. I already know I can do it. And I can do things that I've never done before. So she's actually trying some new flips and new things that literally nobody has done um, that she will show off, obviously, at the Olympics. But just shows you how, you know, when you, you look at that, how she has lived most of her life feeling forwards. Um, every emotion in the body, the way the brain works, the way the chemical reactions go off as a top athlete, to actually do those moves over and over and over again, it becomes very second nature to them. Now, you mentioned that you'd interviewed thousands of people that you found out were unique patterns um, that successful people have and have developed. And that is a feeling in alignment with the future. Now, I know feeling forwards is actually do that. It's another thing to say alignment with the future. How can you inform our listeners to start to develop an alignment with the future? Yes, I love that because there's a, a story in the book that I think is is so accessible and very easy to remember and then apply it in your own life starting from today. But it's the story of a reporter who learned about two twins, obviously, there's two of them, but one had become incredibly successful in business and in life. And can I just put a caveat here? When I talk about success, to me, that's very, very broad. It's not just financial success. It could be an engaged and loving parent or someone that has the job of their dream. So putting that, but getting back to the story, um, one twin had become very successful in business while the other twin was homeless. And, of course, scientists and, and psychologists and writers like me love twins because they've been brought up in exactly the same environment at exactly the same time with exactly virtually the same physiology. So it becomes very interesting. But so the reporter decided, well, why has these twins' lives turned out so differently and what can I learn from that? So he interviewed each twin and he asked them the same question. And he said, to what do you attribute the life you have today? And the first twin said, well, my father was a, an alcoholic who was abusive. I had no choice but to have a life like this and be homeless. 
And when the reporter went to the second twin and asked him the same question, the twin said, well, my father was an alcoholic and abusive. I had no choice but to create a different life for myself. And in that story and many others in the book, but it really encapsulates it's noticing what is going to move you forward and choosing the emotions you need to get you there. And when we go back to to athletes, I I love the stories and there's been some brilliant documentaries recently about um, Michael Jordan and Tom Brady and, of course, there's Kobe Bryant there and um, um, Kobe and Michael's coach also has a book out at the moment. And they weren't the fastest, they weren't the strongest, they weren't the tallest, they weren't the most athletically gifted, but they had the ability to harness their emotion, to believe, like the the gymnast you just spoke about, that they could do it no matter what. And then they harnessed the power of that emotion to get them there. And that is the, the, the guide and the tools that Feeling Forwards gives you. And that is what feeling forward is. And and I think that it's a simple enough concept. Everybody gets it. The bigger question is, what path are they going to choose? I remember doing an interview with a young man who became a Navy SEAL, a doctor. Um, He wrote a book. Um, Just an exceptional person, a fighter pilot, jet fighter pilot. So you look at all that, and he's only 30-some-odd years old. He's a doctoral orthodontist. orthopedic surgeon, a fighter pilot, a Navy SEAL. And he said, you know, when, just like you, he said, when my um, parents uh, were little, they broke up and I ended up living in my truck when I was in high school. And I had a choice to take the high road or the low road. I could have gotten in drugs and alcohol, or I could excel at school. And there was one teacher in school that told him, you know, you're really smart. You can do this. You know, encouraged him. And I and I love the stories. Jason Valdeo is the the doctor. Jason Valdeo is his name. But the point is, is you have a choice. And he decided to feel good about what he was doing. He was using feeling forward, even though he probably didn't know that he was. Now you state that feeling forward is a, a thinking and feeling revolution. You mentioned that it's about living the life that we have forgotten. Um, how do you advise awakening to the life that we've forgotten? Meaning that child essence, that one that has imagination, that one that dreams and lives there, like you said, could immediately drop in into being a firefighter or being something special they wanted to be. Um, the longer we're uh, inculcated with societies saying you can't, you won't, you can't do it, uh, the harder it becomes. Hmm. One of the reasons I wrote Feeling Forwards relating to that question is that I, I really felt as though we've become very skewed towards thinking and mindset and thinking and habits will save you. And there's a lot of literature about that and some very interesting literature and, and very useful ideas. But the challenge is that if we could achieve success and happiness through thinking alone, we would keep every New Year's resolution and we would carry out every good intention. And we both know, Greg, that doesn't happen so emotion is the is the secret source if you like and it's it's equally as important as thinking but 
in the last few decades, emotions have been treated like this uncontrollable tidal wave that could sweep you away at any moment, whereas thinking can be controlled and regulated. And and the reality is that emotions can be controlled and harnessed, just like those examples of athletes we just talked about, particularly hope and belief in yourself just as easily as thinking. So it becomes the ability of feeling forwards is really taking apart The ability to choose your emotions is actually just as easy as being able to choose your thought. And I was very excited recently. There was some new research. I I researched this very, very carefully, and I'm, I'm so grateful you took the opportunity to go through the whole book in such detail. But I researched very carefully this idea of thinking and emotion because it's been very popular to think, oh, well, you think and then you react emotionally to it. But uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf has come out, who's one of the leading um, cognitive neuroscientists, has come out and said, well, you actually have a thought, a feeling and a choice simultaneously. So emotions like thoughts can actually within the body be, be harnessed. And I think it's it's noticing what you notice and then choosing what you notice. That's that might sound a little tricky, but it goes back to the to the twin story. One twin chose to notice everything that was going to hold him back. The other twin noticed every opportunity to move him forward. And if I can go back and give the second part to the, the fruit and vegetable market story, I um, had a situation where through a number of disasters. I had to move back in with my parents and while I was waiting for the the divorce settlement to come through, I was looking for properties to rent and I was still working at that time. My my cancer-related illness later ended my corporate career and I had to start again, but I was looking for a house for me and the two little ones and they'd started school in quite an expensive area, so I was looking for houses close to school. And the houses within my my price bracket were were horrible. And I remember the day we we trudged around to all these houses and we came to the last one and it was not in a very good state of repair. It's where your daughter told you, she said, Mommy, that one's okay. And you said, no, it's not okay, right? That's right. That was horrendous. And I so admired her and loved her in that moment. But I said, no this house isn't good enough for us. There is another beautiful house waiting for us and I just have to find it. And in that moment, I harnessed one of the triggers of feeling forwards because instead of focusing on what I could afford, I decided I had to find that beautiful house. So I switched from looking in a certain price bracket to looking in the area. And I found this gorgeous two-story English cottage with a a marble fireplace and polished floors and crystal chandelier and two stories underneath my budget by $10. And I said to the realtor when I was signing, because I signed very quickly, obviously, (laughs) when I was signing the papers, I said, well, this is such a a beautiful house. Why is it so inexpensive? And she said, look, no one else seemed to want it. There was one other person came and said they didn't want the stairs and I promised my children stairs because there's mainly had bungalows in Australia. Um, And she said, no, look, it just... Just no one else seemed to want it. And I thought, yeah, okay. I stopped looking for the house I could afford and I looked for the beautiful house and I felt that it was there. And that's when the first, and that was before I'd written my first book, that's when the kind of seed of feeling forward started to germinate. Well, it's a great example and a great story of manifesting in your life through emotion, the feeling forward, um, what you can do, whereas a lot of people will stop dead in their tracks 
and take the route that the one twin took, um, which was the father who was the alcoholic and there wasn't any other path. Um, I think when you're uh, using feeling forward, you're also a bit scrappy. We say scrappy here, meaning somebody who's industrious and uh, who will keep doing things, who has grit and has determination uh, for getting it the way that they'd like to have it. Now, you read a research paper about the effects of prayer and healing, distance healing on patients. In this case, it was a blood disorder, right, if I remember correct. And, and I started an organization, Compassionate Communications Foundation, and teamed up, and we send notes of inspiration to people that were dealing with life-threatening illnesses. And we found that through the studies in the Delta that uh, people would heal even if they received notes from strangers, from people who didn't even know them, saying, we're wishing you well. And you wondered if this emotional prayer could work in the way into the future instead of the past. I get what you're talking about. Someone gets cancer, someone sends them a note. It's basically in the past. It's already happened, right? The cancer is already there. Can you tell us about the work with Professor Daryl Beam at Cornell University? Because this seemed to be a, a, a little bit of a turning point in the book, an opportunity to say, you know, um, you can actually move emotions to the future, right? Um, they're actually saying now, and you might want to comment on this, um, that from a quantum physics standpoint, we can go forward. So we actually could do time travel forward, but we can't go backwards. Now, I don't know exactly why I couldn't go backwards, but that's what I've recently heard. Mm, I, haven't, I haven't caught up with that because I, I, some quantum in some quantum experiments so far, the, the experiment has traveled backwards to change the, the result in, in the future. But I'll, I'll, I'll get the details of that um, from you afterwards. But, but you're back, saying we can travel for if you really look at what you're maybe. talking about, we can travel forward. We travel forwards and backwards every day using our, our emotions, but I'll, right. I'll dive into the Daryl Bem expert experiment first. And, and just um, by way almost of a, an aside, Feeling Forwards isn't a book about sitting around and wishing and hoping because um, I, I really wanted to create something that was more powerful but also more practical. So what I did throughout the book is I use a little bit of, of science, not overwhelming, and I promise you don't have to know anything about science to be able to easily understand it right. but then saying, okay well what practical actions can you take today but rest assured that this isn't just about wishing and hoping there's some scientific foundations to it so the Daryl Bem um, experiment was very interesting because although he he looked at it more from a thought perspective the emotions were involved as well so he decided to reverse putting for an exam so he told the students that they'd um, sat an exam on this topic, they'd already completed it, and then he tested the words they might have studied for later on. So they, in effect, completed the exam and then started studying. And what they had was there was a computer-generated random word um, selection process. So the students, without any study, without even knowing what the exam was about, 
study, sat the exam, they handed in their papers, and then they were tested on what they could have studied for. And the interesting thing is that the computer generation randomly selected the words that the students had used on the exam previously. So it was reversed. Normally you study for something and what you study for really well, you answer well on the exam. And they actually reversed this process. So the students that felt that they'd already studied when they sat the exam, then got exactly the same words they would have studied beforehand. Interesting. Well, it it goes to show you that um, truly, you know, the feeling forward is something that's happening all the time, right? And I like how you said you're, we're feeling forward and we're, we're actually going from the past to the future. And I love that. Now, you, you tell a great story in the book about how our brain plays tricks on us. And then you also mention a video people should watch on YouTube um, about this. And I've, I've actually seen that video, but you're welcome to mention it. But this one was really kind of interesting. You heard something in the middle of the night and you woke up and you went downstairs and there wasn't anything there. And you didn't, you heard, you thought you were hearing things. And then, um, but it's about a possum that comes in through the chimney. So I want mm-hmm. you to tell the story in the context of, you know, uh, uh, the importance of our reptilian cortex and our mammalian brain and how this relates to, you know, what happened in this incident and at the same time relating to feeling forwards. Because I don't want to ruin the story. It was actually kind of a cute story in the book. <laughs> well, as um, Jeff Bezos says, the, the brain is, is the best pattern matching machine and the, the reptilian brain, which is our oldest part of our brain, is it's pretty much designed to, to keep us safe. Um, if it's and if you do something differently from how you've done before, your reptilian brain doesn't like it. And then our mammalian brain is the more modern part of the brain, which which includes things like um, thoughts and emotions and desires and, and aspirations. But the, the pattern matching down to a very um, basic level is the brain will tell us what it thinks we're expecting to see, unless we're able to change that pattern. So um, my husband and I. I heard a, a noise at three o'clock in the morning and it sounded like a glass had been smashed. So we leapt out of bed and, and um, thinking there'd been an intruder or a window broken and all there was was a, a broken glass. And we looked around and we, we couldn't see anything. And as I was looking around the room and my husband was checking the doors and the windows at the back, um, I saw a, a curved tail disappear around the corner and I thought, well, well that's, that I, I must have misseen it because we don't have a cat. And we went to bed and there was no incident. The children were at school. I was writing in the in the study. And then I went to my daughter's room to drop off some, some clean laundry. And I noticed this huge possum curled up on the between the top of the books and the top of the bookshelf, fast asleep. And then obviously I put two or two together. Quickly got the possum man in to remove the possum to a <laughs> friendly tree. And then I thought, it's fascinating because my eyes saw that curved tail, but my brain didn't accept it because we didn't have a cat. There was no, no pattern to match. And that's where I love also the getting back to the news resolution. I, I There's a great example of, of how parts of your brain fight each other with relating to um, a news resolution to get fit. 
And I had a boyfriend once who every 1st of January without fail, he was going to start running. And quite often he bought himself a new tracksuit and he was really, really determined that this was going to be the year he was getting fit. And two or three days later, it was over without fail also every year. And he, and I'd say, well, but, you know, you had such great reasons to get fit and you're prepared and you're determined. And he said, oh, my knees hurt and my lungs hurt and, and it was just still too awkward. I couldn't do it. And it's a great example of, of the your prehistoric brain trying to keep you safe. So you start to go for a run if you're very unfit and your, your knees hurt and you start to pant and your reptilian cortex says to you, well, this isn't very good. When you were lying on the couch watching Netflix yesterday, you didn't feel like this. You should get back to that couch and stop this terrible running. And your mind's trying to tell you, well, no, no, this is actually going to be quite good for you. And there's been all these studies and getting fitter is a great thing. And it's actually something like feeling forwards. It's being able to feel the emotions of how it will feel and to be able to be to fit. Future yeah. self is fit and all those benefits. Right. That secret source between sadly staggering back to the couch like my former boyfriend used to and actually keeping on going. Yes. And, you know, in that same light, you told the story about insurance claims. I remember where planes would try and land on the freeway. And the cars would hit the planes. And it's the same thing. They didn't see them. They said, we didn't see them. I'm thinking to myself, how can you not see a plane that's landing on a freeway? Yet there were lots of claims where cars had hit that. And you cited that in there as well. Um, I thought that was you know, pretty fascinating. Now, you cite the book, The Power of Habit. I just mentioned before we got on BJ Fogg as well. There's lots of atomic habit. There's lots of things about habits, but this is Charles, uh, is it Doug? Um, yeah. I know I've seen the book, but uh, how do we form new habits and create new patterns in the brain? And what is the capacity of our ability to learn new things and form those new habits if that reptilian brain is going to say, no, nah, don't want to do it, and the mammalian brain is the one that we have to work with, and the two of them are fighting one another for that space of a new habit. It's just like you mentioned with your boyfriend, had best intentions. Two days later, everything in the world hurt. The suit that he bought was was history for the rest of the year. He never got it back on again, right? So speak with us about the new habit that he needed to form that he was unable to do? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things tied up with that to answer that great question. And the first deals with visualisation. And I, I teach a very special and very different kind of visualisation in the book, but I'll, I'll summarise it very, very quickly here. Um, a lot of people when they're visualising, and obviously they're, they're, they're visualising themselves in the future, they visualise from a third-person kind of standpoint and I use the, I have an exercise in the book whereby, um, and let's take winning an Olympic medal because everyone knows what the Olympics looks like. Imagine you're winning an Olympic medal and most people would visualise it all almost as they're like a shadowy figure on a screen. And then I go through and develop the ability to visualise it as though you can see your foot and feel your foot stepping onto the podium. You feel your body bend as the, the, the flowers and the medals put around your neck. 
and you actually hear and you look through your own eyes to see the crowd cheering you on. Now, the second kind of visualisation transports you into that moment and uses your emotions where the first doesn't. So when you're looking at creating new habits, you create the habits of the person you want to become and you become that person back into the present. There's a a beautiful um, quote from Cary Grant in the book. Cary Grant arrived in Hollywood as Archie Leach and, as would have it, came from an abusive and um, alcoholic family. And the quote goes something like this, that I pretended to be someone until until I became him or him became me. So in the book, I teach how to adopt the habits and the actions of the person you want to become, add your emotion as the secret source, and then you create the future you want. And to give a very macro, private, personal example, um, I love I love to run, but I love the end of the run far more than the beginning. (laughs) And I don't particularly enjoy the cold mornings at the moment and getting out of a warm bed and heading out in in what's often a little bit dark. So I never focus and I never choose to feel how it feels like to start. So from the moment of putting my my foot in my shoe, and I've practised this through visualisation, I have the feelings I have after the run's finished. So I never choose to feel that the run's starting. I harness the feeling of, which I always feel great, and then I bring that into the present so then it's very easy to go for the run. Well, you know, we all know that when we run, the feelings are also being um, associated with the chemical releases in the brain, the endorphins, uh, the endomorphins, all all the things that are giving us they call it runner's high, but it's any kind of high you would get in um, uh, exceptional athletes uh, and the work of Stephen Kotler, who's been in here many times, uh, mm. talking about the art of impossible, right? It's like, yeah. what are the sequences and steps associated with somebody having that, you know, and, and, it's, and it's a passion and it's a purpose and it's a focus and it's a curiosity and it's having a goal, and it's grit, and it's determination. And when you wing all those together, you really see that at that part where they visualize, they're visualizing and taking the emotion associated with the visualization and moving it forward. So that's what they want to become. Um, And I think your feeling forwards is adding to that equation. You know, it's like saying, okay, it isn't just all these other things, but it is this emotional element as well. Now, you tell a great story about reading an article in the newspaper about a woman by the name of Kay Kati, an Australian sailor attempting to become the first woman to sail solo uh, around the world. And we all know when you're out there by yourself trying to sail solo, uh, because I've had a couple of people on the show who've actually done incredible feats in sol- and sailboats that you got to stay awake, right? It's like, hey, how am I going to keep this boat going? And I think you said she only ever slept nine minutes at a time. If I remember correct, that's what you said in the book. Mm -hmm. What was it about the story that got you thinking about sleep and how can we change sleep patterns? Because there's so much talk about sleep depravity today. You know, we've got to get our eight, nine hours of sleep 
because it's good for our health. And I would agree with you that it is. And what is the connection to Dr. Ellen Langer, who -hmm. conducted the experiment about the convincing our reality about how much sleep is enough and how long we really have to sleep? I love that you bring this up because I hope this is a a concept and as well as others that everyone can take away from this podcast. So I became very obsessed with sleep because I was working full time and I had um, neither of my two gorgeous babies chose to sleep very much. And I, I don't know what I was doing, but I was always interrupted several times a night. And I was feeling particularly grumpy one morning uh, while I was getting my coffee on the way to the office and I was flicking through the newspaper and I saw the article about Kay, who who did actually achieve the goal. She's an amazing woman, but she was halfway through the trip at that time and they, they said, well, she only ever slept for this few amount of minutes at a stretch. So immediately I thought, well, firstly, you need to get over yourself because um, if, if this woman can survive in the middle of the ocean, then you really don't have too much to complain about at home in bed. But then I thought, she must have a mental hack. There must be a way that she's trained her body not to feel exhausted despite having so little sleep. And at the time, I'd I'd been reading a book called Counterclockwise, which was written a while ago now, but, but stayed with me and stayed in my memory, thank heavens, to be able to use it feeling forwards. But The Harvard uh, Chair of Psychology, um, Ellen Langer, has run a number of incredible experiments about how people can change their physiology by changing their mindset and their emotions. And I talk about another other incredible stories, including how you can make yourself younger. But in this particular example, she had three groups of students who were placed in a room and a bed and they went to sleep, but they they played around with the time on their clock. So the first group of students woke up um, and the clock was accurate. So if they went to bed to 10, they woke up at 8 and they'd had that number of sleep. The second number, uh, second group of students, they wound their clocks forward. So they found out they thought that they'd had more sleep than they actually had. But then the third group, they sped up the clock. So even though it said they'd had eight hours sleep on the clock, they'd actually only had five or six. Now, what was very interesting is not only the students' attitude to basically they believed the clock, but their bodies believed the clock. So when they tested their biochemistry, even though the clock had showed the wrong time, the body reacted as though they'd had the amount of sleep that was shown on the clock. So once I read that, I thought, okay, right, okay, I've, now I've got a plan and a tool, which I love. So I would never, when one of my children awoke and needed settling, I would never look at the clock when I went back to bed and I would never look at the clock at all. So as soon as they woke up, I need to settle them. I would say to myself something like, oh, it's the, they've only been in bed an hour. It's only 11 o'clock. I've got seven more hours or six more hours before I have to get up. And it was a complete game changer for me. And, and I, I do it even now, particularly when I'm traveling, which I hope to do again soon. Um, uh, in the States, if I, if I have jet lag, I always say to myself, oh, no, that's okay. You've had eight or nine hours sleep, even though I, I suspect in my soul it was only two or three. But if I don't look at the clock, I can convince myself that how much sleep I've actually had. Great technique. Great technique. So for all of you listening out there who um, don't want to feel sleep deprived, if you try her technique, don't look at the clock. That's one. Number two, um, maybe have it so 
it, it fast forwards like they did in the experiment, a little tougher to do. Um, but the reality, I think, is not knowing what time it is um, and that you hadn't, you, you convinced yourself that you had seven more hours of sleep, even though you maybe only had three more hours of sleep. Um, so you felt like you had seven hours of sleep, which is really, it's really phenomenal when you think about it. You know, I remember a story, uh, Ellie, um, about Benjamin Franklin. You might remember this one. So Benjamin Franklin used to sit and he had plenty of inventions, right? Was inventing things all the time. Um, and he used to put a rock in his hand and he had a metal pail and he would go in a rocking chair and fall asleep and get into alpha state. Now, he did it differently, but they said he didn't sleep very much because as soon as his hand would open up and let go of the rock, it would hit the pail and it would wake him up. He wanted to be woken up at a mere time in the alpha state, which is where that dream state where he could create those inventions that he was working on. But he used that rocking chair, the rock and the pail to literally use it as an alarm to set him to wake him up during those times so that he could manifest all of the cool stuff that he created in his life. I thought that was a pretty cool story, actually. Um, really grateful you shared that because um, Einstein did something very similar. Did you know? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. Baseball. Yes. Yeah, in his case is baseball. In in um, Benjamin Franklin's case, it was a rocking chair because if you've ever seen pictures of him, he was a big man uh, and he would rock himself to sleep and then he would let that thing, that pail, that rock fall into there. And he always had a rock in his hand, they said. So you cover a lot in this book and I'm just going to tell my listeners um, go out and get a copy. We'll have a link to Amazon. We're going to have a link uh, to Elizabeth's website as well, which is Elizabeth, G-O-U-L-D-E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H-G-O-U-L-D.com. That's where you can learn more about her. You can learn more about um, her coaching. Uh, you can read some of her articles. She's got two other books. Uh, there's testimonials. Like I said, this is endorsed by Tony Robbins. Um, uh, Elizabeth has become very good friends with Tony as well. It's a fantastic book. And the process taught to use feelings forward, to move yourself forward, imagine yourself into the future and bring it back to the present is, I think, really, really valuable for everybody. Now, in summing this up, if you were to leave our listeners with three things that you'd like them to take away. I always like to leave take leave our listeners with takeaways. What are the three things that you think are the most important out of feeling forwards? <laughs> Firstly, you can become whoever you want. And the only person that can get you there is you, but the only person that can hold you back is yourself as well. And I wrote this book because I want to help people become whoever they want to become and live the life they want. Secondly is every day you can live like those twins, two versions of the same reality, and whatever you do today creates your future. And the reason why emotions are so important is we can't make great decisions unless we're feeling great, and that's what feeling forwards helps you do. 
And the third thing I think is that that gratitude is is a state from which we can all move forward. If we can get to a state of, of gratitude, then we can harness all sorts of other powerful emotions to do in the present what we want to achieve in the in the future. And anything anything is is possible as long as we feel it so. I love that. The feeling it so is the most important. You know, and something popped into my intuition to say this quote. It, we had a gentleman here in the States was a famous uh, sales uh, trainer, and his name was Zig Ziglar. He's no longer with, with us, but he's, uh, he's pretty famous. And he used to say, and I always remember I would go to his talks, and there'd be thousands of people in the audience, literally. And he would say, it's not your aptitude that determines your altitude. It's your attitude. <laughs> I love his work. <laughs> and I always remember that. You know, and yeah. it's so true because it isn't your aptitude. It's not how much you study. It's not those things. It's how really your attitude that you bring to life. It's how you're feeling. It's your emotions. And really, the attitude is the emotion. You know, when you look at the emotion, it's how we influence what we're thinking. And I love the fact that that's what this book is about, helping people become what they want to become. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth, taking a few minutes to explain your book. Thank you so much from Melbourne, Australia. This has been Elizabeth Gould speaking with us about her book called Feeling Forwards. Thank you, Elizabeth, so much. Namaste to you. Thank you Thank for you so much, all the good, good work that you're doing. Take care. Thank you so much.